Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter number 6. And of course, we are going through a series on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings sometimes. We've been switching it up on, uh, we're on a journey with Jesus uh, through the gospel according to Luke, verse by verse, uh, uh, chapter by chapter. And of course, the gospel of Luke is one of the most uh, specific gospels, giving us a lot of details about the life of Christ. And we're really just learning about the life of Christ. And if you were with us last week as we were in the Gospel of Luke, uh, you remember that we learned about how to treat your enemies. And Jesus is teaching uh, here in Luke in a sermon that is called or referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Now, you are probably familiar with a very famous sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ preached from the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Plain is uh, the same sermon as the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also a different sermon than the Sermon on the Mount. And you might ask, well, how, do, how does that work? Well, it's a different sermon because of the fact that it was preached at a different place, different location, uh, at a different time. But it's the same sermon because it's the same outline or the same material that Jesus is going through. You'll find a lot of uh, things that are very similar between the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, but yet you'll also find a lot of things that are very different between the two because just like any preacher, uh, if, if I were to preach a sermon here using a certain outline, and, and this is not, you know, sometimes people, they, they, the reason that I make a big deal about this is because people like to point at uh, Luke chapter 6 and then Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and say that there are contradictions in the Bible. Because, well, here it says it was preached on the, on the mount, and here it says it was preached on the plain, and here he said this, and in this one he said something different. Well, oftentimes uh, what preachers will do and what Jesus is doing is they'll teach the same material or the same content in, in, in a different uh, place. For example, I'm going to be preaching at a family uh, conference uh, in, in uh, the month of May. Uh, in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. Uh, however, I'm, I'm already working on that sermon and getting it ready. But before I preach that sermon there, I will preach it to our church family here. And I'll preach that same sermon here um, on a Sunday night or something like that. And then I'll take that same sermon outline and I will preach it there. And it'll be very similar, but it'll be different. Because every time you preach the same sermon outline, uh, unless, if you, you know, uh, unless if you just memorize every word that you're going to say, which is not my style of preaching, I have an outline and I speak uh, from the heart, really, uh, then, then the sermons are all going to be uh, different, but you'll see similarities, of course, and that's what we see here with Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. So hopefully that makes sense. And what we what we what we see here in this passage, because we've been working through it, uh, we saw the uh, blessings and the woes that Jesus gave us as an introduction, and then we saw how to treat your enemies uh, last week. In this passage here on the Sermon on the Plain. What we see is Jesus speaking specifically on the subject of measurement or how to measure uh, certain things. And, and specifically, and I hope it'll make sense as we get into the passage here, he's teaching us about how to measure three different areas or three different uh, uh, ideas in regards to uh, the Bible. One is how we measure uh, judgment, and really the word measure means to judge, and he's teaching us how to judge judgment or how to measure judgment. Then he speaks to us on how to measure giving, and he also speaks to us on how to measure or how to judge false prophets. And it's interesting because if you study this solely from the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the more famous of the sermons, you wouldn't get this 
uh, correlation. But when you compare the Sermon on the Mount to the Sermon on the Plain, you'll see this uh, correlation that is being made here about measurement. I find it extremely interesting. I hope you do as well. And uh, I, I, think, I think you will if you uh, love the Word of God, of course. Uh, but I, I, I'll, I'll just share this with you as we get started here. But I want to show you that there's three different things that we're told to measure here. And if you're taking notes this morning, and I'd encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. The first thing I want you to notice is the measurement of judgment. The measurement of judgment. Now, in, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 37, you find this phrase or this verse. He says, judge not and ye shall not be judged. He says, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Then he says, condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. He says, forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Now, I want you to notice the correlation uh, between the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Now, keep your place there in Luke 6.37. That's our text for this morning. But go back to Matthew chapter 7, if you would, and look at verse number 1. If you go backwards, you have Luke, Mark, and then Matthew. And I want you to compare. Remember, it's the same sermon, but it's not the same sermon. The more famous passage is Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, you may find one of the most, I mean, not may, you will find one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And this verse has probably overtaken John 3.16 as the most quoted verse in the Bible. And though we, of course, love the Word of God, and any Bible verse that is quoted uh, and, and referenced is always a good thing, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 has become a very famous verse in the Bible, unfortunately, because of a bad philosophy or with bad intentions. You say, what do you mean? Notice Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now, that's a great verse. And praise God for it. Jesus said it. It's in your King James Bible. And praise the Lord. But that verse, Matthew 7 and verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged, has become one of the most famous verses in the Bible, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, but not for a positive reason or not for a, uh, 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 an authentic reason. It's become a very quoted scripture because people will use it to try to teach that you're not supposed to judge anyone ever for any reason. So you have these liberals today that will stand up behind uh, pulpits and they'll say, well, the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged, judge not that ye be not judged, and they'll say, so the Bible teaches that you're never supposed to judge anything, anyone, for any reason, ever. Now, here's what you need to understand. When Jesus said, judge not that ye be not judged, that was within a context of an entire teaching that he is giving. And when you look at the entire teaching, you'll find that Jesus is not teaching that we should never judge. He's not saying, don't ever judge anyone for any reason ever when he says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now, I want you to notice the context. Look at verse 2. He says, for, the word for means because. He's saying, judge not that ye be not judged. And then he says, here's why, or here's when that applies. He says, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what, and here's our phrase that we're going to look at this morning. Notice what he says, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. He says, whatever measurement you decide to meet with, to judge with, to discern with, 
That's the same measurement that's going to be used upon you. And within that context, he says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, first of all, let me just deal with this issue. And I realize it's not a popular stance uh, from the Word of God today. But I do want to be clear, the Bible does not teach. In fact, go to John if you would. You're there in Matthew. You're going to go past Mark, past Luke, into the Gospel of John, John chapter 7. Jesus and the Bible are not teaching that we should never judge. In fact, you can tell by the amount of amens that it's not a very popular (laughs) concept. However, the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite of the teaching on judgment. The Bible teaches, in fact, the Bible commands that we should judge. John chapter 7, look at verse 24. Notice what the Bible says, Judge not according to the appearance, notice this phrase, but judge righteous judgment. Now Jesus here, again, speaking, says, look, you should judge righteous judgment. Now, the same Jesus that said, judge not that you be not judged, in Matthew chapter 7, said in John chapter 7, but judge righteous judgment. So when Jesus tells us, judge not that you be not judged, here's the takeaway, is that the judgment that he's referring to there is not righteous judgment. It's unrighteous judgment. I'll explain that to you, but let me just make sure that we cover all our bases here. The Bible teaches in judgment. The Bible teaches that we should, uh, that there are times that things need to be judged. You're, you're there in John. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're in John. You've got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me give you some examples where we're actually commanded to judge. And look, today, if you listen to the average, just liberal, lame Christian, they're going to teach this idea, judge not that you be not judged, you're never supposed to judge him. You're not supposed to stand in judgment of anyone, ever, for any reason. You should never look at somebody, and here's what they mean by that, you should never look at something and call it sin. You should never look at somebody's lifestyle and say, no, 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 that's wrong. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want that. God is not for that. God is not accepting. They'll say, well, you're judging now. And Jesus said, judge not that ye be not judged. But let me tell you something. All throughout the Bible, Christians are taught to judge. In fact, you may have never noticed this, but there's an entire book in your Bible called the book of Judges. Where, and that should tell you what God thinks about judges and judging and judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 1. Notice what uh, uh, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth here. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust. Here he's talking about two believers, two brothers in Christ, two creatures, uh, 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 Christians, and they're going to law or they're going to be judged before the unjust. Notice, he says, and not before the saints. Here's what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians, that Christians should judge. In fact, he says matters between Christians should be judged between Christians and that a brother should never take, a brother in Christ should never take a brother in Christ to law. Do you know that as a Christian you shouldn't be uh, uh, going to uh, wicked judges to try to get judgment? The Bible says um, that you should be able to deal with those things within the context of a church. Now, obviously, we live in a sinful world. 
And not every Christian is attending a good church where they're submitting themselves under the authority of a godly pastor. Uh, and, and, and not every church has a godly pastor that can judge. And, and I understand all those questions, but what Paul is teaching is that in, in, a, in a world where Christians are actually following the Bible, and unfortunately that's a very tall order in today's nation. To actually find Christians who actually do what the Bible says, it's a rare thing. But he says, in a world where Christians are actually following the Bible, two Christians should be able to submit themselves under the authority of a local church and under a bishop, and the Christians of that church should be able to judge between matters of those Christians. Notice what he says there in verse 2. He said, do ye not know that the saints... Now, what's a saint? A saint is, an, uh, is a saved person, all right? All throughout the Bible, I don't have time to preach against the Catholic Church, okay? All throughout the Bible, you're going to call me judgmental. All throughout the Bible, saints are believers, okay? So the Bible says, do you not know that the saints, notice, shall judge the world? This is in reference to the millennial reign of Christ. That one day, first of all, we're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is going to judge what we have done in our bodies, whether it was good or bad. And then based off that judgment, he's going to give us rewards. He's going to allow us to rule and reign with Christ during the millennial reign. We'll be given positions of authority. And as a result of ruling with him, we're going to judge the world. That's what he's referring to. He says, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? He says, and if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He says, know ye not that we shall judge angels? Again, it's the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to judge angels. We're going to be in charge of, of angels and, uh, and, and human beings that are alive during the millennial reign. And again, I don't have time to go into all those details. But we're going to judge angels. He says, how much more things that pertain to this life? Notice verse 4. If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, notice he says, he's telling the church at Corinth, Set them to judge. Well, Paul, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Well, Paul says, well, you're taking that out of context. Because Jesus said to judge righteous judgment. And Paul is saying, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Here's what he's saying. You would be better off by finding the newest convert, just the brand, a brand new Christian, somebody that just got saved, they're, they haven't grown in the Lord, they, they're just the least esteemed in the church. He said you'd be better off getting judged by that guy than to go to some you know, wicked, corrupt judge sitting on the Supreme Court today. That's what he's saying. And if you don't believe Paul, look at the people sitting on the Supreme Court today. Bunch of wicked pedophiles. He says, if, if, if then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He says, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Now, Paul is actually judging them right now because they're going to law with their brother. He says, there's no one in the church. There's not a wise man that can help you out with this. But he's telling them, look, you are supposed to judge. So the Bible does not teach, and Jesus was not teaching against judgment. He was teaching against unrighteous judgment. Now, that's going to become clear here in a minute when we look at the passage. But let me just give you another example. You're there in 1 Corinthians 6. Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Not only 
should judgment be done within believers in the local church. But the Bible teaches that there are times that we must judge believers for sin in the church. 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you, notice what Paul says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. Now what does that mean, not to keep company? Not to keep company means to not associate with, to not spend time with, to not hang out with, to not fellowship with, to not have friendship with. He said, you said, that sounds really judgmental. Well, maybe you should read the Bible. And maybe you should start with the book of Judges. But now I bring unto you, not to keep company, notice, if any man that is called a brother. Now, does this apply to unsaved people? No. This is for a man that is called a brother. Of course, this is referring to a brother in Christ. Someone who has a testimony of salvation. Someone who says, I am a believer, I am a Christian, I am a brother. He says, do not company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Now, what does that mean? Fornication. Fornication is going to bed together when you're not married. It's the physical act of, 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 of a, between a man and a woman when they're not married. And God says, hey, as a Christian and as a church, you're supposed to stand in judgment of that. Amen. You're supposed to judge that. Now, I realize today the average church doesn't do that. But let me tell you something. You're not sitting in the average church. This is Verity Baptist Church. We actually believe the Word of God around here, and we judge fornication. We're, we're against it, and we'll throw people out for living in fornication. Say, so you'll throw them out? Well, the Bible says to not keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, that's not it. Notice, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Notice, with such an one, know not to eat. Now look, we are all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, every single person here is a sinner. But the Bible says there are certain sins, and he lists them for us. He says, these are unacceptable within the context of a church. You cannot just have people fornicating, running around fornicating, openly fornicating, and be okay with it. You say, why? Here's why. Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And we care too much about the young people here and the young boys and the young girls and we want them to grow up to realize that they were made in the image of God, that they should have some respect for their bodies and have some respect for themselves and that they don't have to go around sleeping around with people. That's the judgment. He says, but now I've written unto you not to keep company of a man that is called a brother, be a fornicator or a covetous uh, or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or a torturer with such an one know not to eat. Notice verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Now notice what Paul says. Paul says, I'm not standing in judgment of unsaved people. He's like, I'm not, I'm not judging unsaved people for being fornicators or being drunkards. That's what unsaved people do. He says, do not ye judge them that are within. He said, but you should judge those that are within. Within the family. Within the church. Look, I, I, you say, why are you showing us this? To show you that the Bible teaches that there is a such thing as judgment and righteous judgment. Notice verse 13. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away, remove, throw out from among yourselves that wicked person. And you say, oh, you guys would kick out a fornicator. They're just never allowed to come to church. Well, they're allowed to come to church once they get right with God. Amen. Once they quit fornicating or get married. Now, Jesus is not teaching that we should never judge. You say, okay, well, then what is Jesus teaching? Go back to 
Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 37 again. Because remember, Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. So he says, I want you to have righteous judgment. But then in Matthew 7 or in Luke 6, he says, judge not that you be not judged. So when he's saying don't judge, he's talking about a certain type of judgment. You say, what is that? Here's what it is. It's hypocritical judgment. Jesus is teaching that we should not judge hypocritically. Now notice again, Luke 6 and verse 37. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. And by the way, it's not necessarily a command as it is more of a warning or some advice. Here's what he's saying. If you've got something in your life that you don't want to be judged for, then don't judge other people. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. If you've got something in your life that you don't want to be condemned for, then don't condemn other people. He says, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. And to prove to you that this is dealing with hypocrisy, he says, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And all throughout the Bible, this concept of forgiving because we've been forgiven is always connected to hypocrisy. Because here's the idea. He says, if you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ of your sins, then you should be able to turn around and forgive others. And when you don't, that's hypocrisy. To say, I've accepted forgiveness, but I refuse to give forgiveness. That's called being a hypocrite. And Jesus connects that thought to judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Here's what he's saying. Don't judge if you don't want to be judged, or if there's something that you don't want to be judged about, or if there's something that you don't want to be condemned about. Don't judge and don't condemn, and you'll be fine. Now go back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. You go past again, Mark, and, and, and into the book of Matthew. Let me, let me give you an example of this. And I'm not going to use any names because I don't feel like it's needed. But there was a, a certain pastor not so long ago. And this pastor, you know, uh, it, it, it was kind of announced within a certain fellowship of pastors that his son was joining the military. Now, here's the thing. And, and that, this might seem odd to you, but let me just explain something to you. Joining the military is not like the worst thing in the world. It's not like you're a murderer or a serial killer or whatever. But let me explain something to you. If you're a pastor, that's not really your goal in life, that your sons will just sign away their lives and become the slave of the state that, by the way, is wicked as hell. Right, right, right. And to be controlled by... It's not really the goal of a Christian to have their son join the military. Now, if you're in the military, I'm not against you. If your son's in the military, I'm not, I'm not judging you for that. I'm, I'm just explaining to you... As a pastor, that's not necessarily, you know, what I aspire. I just aspire for my kids to grow up and just sign away their life. And look, just, just for transparency, I was in the military. I, went, I was in the Air Force. So I'm telling you, as a veteran who was in the Air Force, I'm looking at my sons and saying, don't join the military. Don't, don't do it. It's a mistake. Don't do it. You don't want to do it. It's not. You, could do, you, you can do something better. So as a pastor, that's our context. When it was kind of announced that this pastor's son had joined the military, you know what every other pastor and pastor's wife that heard about that did? Nothing. Nobody said anything. Nobody said, man, you really failed. No, in fact, people sent 
cards and, and, and text messages and emails saying, hey, I heard your son's going military. I want you to know we're going to be praying for him. We're going to be praying for his safety. We're going to be praying that, that, that he gets out of there and, 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 and nothing happens to him. And, you know, people were kind. Everything, it was fine. What's interesting is that a few weeks later, the same pastor came out and preached a sermon against all of our children. I'm talking about all the other pastors in the same fellowship of believers. He came out preaching a sermon about how all our kids were just like the worst kids, just borderline reprobate psychopaths, just talking about like how kids and other Christian movements are so much better than our, I mean, just attacking and just lambasting all of our children. So you know what happened? People said, well, wait a minute, like your kid joined the military, like you're not necessarily the most successful dad out there to be judging all of our, you know, I'm looking at our church and thinking to myself, we've got all sorts of 18 and 19 year olds that didn't, don't, don't join the military, go start businesses, get married, are soul winners, are serving the Lord. I mean, kids that aren't even pastor's kids. And we're all thinking to ourselves like, your kid joined the military, like, you're not, doesn't really make you the, the standard of, like, this is, you're the greatest dad, the su- most successful dad ever, and you're sitting here and judging us. You know what happened when people said that to him? Him and his wife just were like, I can't believe that anybody would bring up the fact that my kid joined the military. That's so hurtful. You know, here's the lesson. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Amen. If you don't want people to condemn you or attack you say well wait a minute what you're doing with your kid and what you resolve your kids not that great hey no one was going to bring that up till you started judging others till you started condemning others till you started talking crap about other people's parenting that are actually doing better than you are then people call you out not because your kid joined the military nobody cares that your kid joined the military but you know what they're calling out your hypocrisy so jesus gives this warning he says Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Look, here's, here's what I'm saying. If your marriage is failing, don't go around criticizing other people's marriage. I'm not mad at you if your marriage is failing. We love you. We're praying for you. We want to help you. But if your marriage isn't going great, maybe you shouldn't be gossiping about other people's marriages. If your kids are wayward, I'm not mad at you. My heart breaks with you. I want to pray with you. I want to help you. We want to help you bring that prodigal son back. But if your kid is wayward, don't go around complaining about all the other teenagers in church that are actually here. You don't think this happens? I mean, you get grown adults. Their kids are drug addicts, just, you know, living for the world, just in jail, in prison. And they're like, these teenagers are a bunch of punks. It's like, man, you should be thankful that these teenagers are here. You should be thankful that these kids are here. See, the teaching of Jesus is not that you should never judge. It's the teaching that if you've got an area in your life that isn't exactly buttoned up, here's what I'm saying. Look, as a pastor, you know, here's the thing. My kids are not grown. They're still in my home. One of my kids may grow up and join the military. I hope not. I pray not. I'll do everything in my power not to do that. Maybe one of my kids grows up to join the military. You say, what are you going to do if one of your kids grows up in the military, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to stand up the next week and start talking about how everybody else's kids are terrible. Because when you're not necessarily succeeding in a certain area, here's what I'm saying. If you've been divorced three times, maybe don't go around giving marriage advice. You say, why? Because somebody might bring up the fact that, well, why should we be listening to you? You've not really been successful. And then you're going to eat your food. I can't believe you would say that. But Jesus said, judge not and ye shall not be judged. Amen. 
Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Here's all I'm saying, and please understand, you may not like this, but whatever, you judge. The Bible says that there are certain standards of life that when we do not meet those standards, we are not in a position to judge others. And by the way, this is why God gives qualifications for pastors because pastors aren't supposed to judge. So he says, you, need, you better make sure that you are living a life that is blameless. You better make sure that your kids are under control, that they are not unruly. You need to make sure that your uh, wife is godly and faithful to church and a soul winner and not slandering. He's, saying, he's not saying don't ever judge. He's saying, look, if you've got an error in your life that maybe is not where it should be, you probably shouldn't judge. And if you don't want people pointing out your hypocrisy, then judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Now, let me show this to you from from Matthew, because it's very clear. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and in verse 2, he says, he says, for with... What judgment ye judge, he's, he's saying, this is why I'm telling you, judge not and ye should be not judged, right? Because here's the four, here's the why. It says, because, here, here's, here's why. Hey, pastor so-and-so, you know why you don't want to preach a sermon about how everybody's kids are terrible? Here's why. Because with what judgment ye judge others, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, Whatever you decide to measure others, look at these other kids, look how bad they're doing. Well, people are going to take that same measure and say, well, what about you? For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So he says, if, you've got, if you're lacking, then you may want to judge not that you be not judged. Go, go back to Luke chapter 6. Now notice again, look, it's very clear that this is what he's referring to. Luke chapter 6 and verse 41. Notice what he says. In the context when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, or judge not and you shall not be judged, condemn and you shall not be condemned, forgive and you shall be forgiven. Luke 6, 41. And why beholdest thou the mote? What's a mote? A mote is a small particle or speck of dust. He says, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? You know, you've got your brother, and he's got a mote, a particle, a speck of dust in his eye. And you're like, look at that. That's a problem. You've got to fix that. He says, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, notice again, Jesus is not speaking against judgment. He's speaking against hypocritical judgment. He's speaking about you going around with a two-by-four in your eye. You're like the worst parent ever, but you got to correct everybody else's parenting because of the speck in their eye, because of the moat in their eye. Notice verse 2, 42, excuse me. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, Notice the words, the hypocrite. He says, it's a hypocritical to tell someone, let me pull out the mo out of your eye when you've got this huge beam in your own eye. 
Now notice, people say, Jesus against Jesus against judgment at all costs. No, no, no. Look at the last part of verse 42. Cast out first the beam that is in thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. See, there's nothing wrong with helping your brother try to pull out the mote out of his eye. Just make sure you cast out the beam out of your own eye first. Because when you don't, you're a hypocrite. So I want you to notice this lesson on the measurement of judgment. The measurement of judgment is not, the measurement of judgment is not that you should never judge anyone for any reason ever. No, no. The measurement of judgment is this, that sometimes, especially in Christian maturity, people are given positions of authority, and within that authority, they need to measure, and they need to judge, so you better make sure that with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again, and that you're not being a hypocrite. And by the way, this, not, this does not just apply uh, for pastors, this applies for every area of leadership and authority. Listen, Dad. When you sit there and tell your teenage sons, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and they watch you smoke and drink, you know what they're thinking? You're a hypocrite. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Proper judgment first takes the beam out of your own eye, so then you can see clearly to help other people. It's not against judgment. It's against you being a hypocrite when you're judging. When you're, when, when you're judging. And look, it's insane to me, it's insane to me how practical this teaching is. You think, well, of course that makes sense. But you know what's really interesting to me is that this is what I've learned. My wife and I have learned this over the last 11 years of ministry. That literally people who have had certain sins in their own lives, after they, time, time goes by and they get past that, they will be the most harsh and critical to other people going through the same sin. Amen. And it's like... You, you're mad at them because they don't go sowing, but you didn't show up for sowing last week either. You're all mad at them because they're fornicating, but when you showed up, you were fornicating too. You're all mad at them because uh, of divorce, but you've been divorced. You know, here's the idea. There are times to judge. Make sure you're not a hypocrite. Make sure your heart's right. He's not against judgment. He's against pharisaical, hypocritical judgment. Cast out first the beam that is in thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So we see Jesus teaching about the measurement of judgment. You don't like that one? Let me give you another one. Go to Luke chapter 6. I doubt you'll like this one either. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 38. Number one, we saw the measurement of judgment, but I want you to notice, secondly, we see the measurement of giving. Notice what he says in verse 38. Give. I don't think you should preach on giving. Well, it's in the Bible. It's in the passage we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter with. So that's why we're talking about it. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Now notice, notice. Remember we saw in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. Why? For with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Right? That's what he said about judgment. Notice what he says here about giving. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give in your bosom. Notice, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. He uses almost the exact same wording about the measurement of judgment to the measurement of giving. 
He says there's a measurement in giving. You say, what is it? Here's what it is. God will use the same measurement that you use to give to him and to the work of God. He will use that measurement to give back to you. He says, look, give. Here's a promise from God. Give and it shall be given unto you. You say, how can that be? Here's why. Because there's a universal law that God has established in our world called reaping and sowing. Amen. And you reap what you sow. And that's neither moral or immoral. It's both. You, reap, you sow good things, you'll reap good things. You sow bad things, you'll reap bad things. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Notice, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So here's what the Bible, and again, no, Notice there that it's the same wording as Matthew 7, 2. With the, what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again about judgment. Now it's about giving. Here's what he's saying. Because people often, they'll, they'll, they'll say things like, I want God's blessing. I need God's blessing on my life. I want God to bless me. I want God to help me. And look, and it's not just financially, but financially is definitely part of it. I need God's blessing financially. I need God's blessing on my health. I need God's blessing on, on, on my marriage and with my children and in my career and in all the things that I'm doing. And, 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 and I need God to bless me big. I mean, I want a big blessing. And God looks down and says, well, actually, you are in charge of the measurement that I use to bless you. Because when you, he would say, decide to bless my church, my work, my people, my ministry. And you've got, you know, whenever I read this, I envision a table. I envision it a couple of ways. You've got a table with, with, with rulers and yardsticks, but different sizes. And you've got a, a little ruler, and it goes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you get to decide which one you're going to pick when it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous. You get to decide, which one am I going to pick to be a blessing to God, to be a blessing to God's house, to God's people, to God's work, to God's ministry. I get to decide which measurement I'm going to use to measure out how much I'm going to give to God. And then God says, when you put that measurement down, he says, I pick that same measurement up because with what measurement ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So you say, how do I control God's blessing? Control your giving. I mean, look, I'm, and I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm just preaching what the Bible says. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give in your bosom. For with what measure, with the, notice, with the same measure that ye meet. With all. That word with all means with that measure. It shall be measured to you again. God will use. The same measurement that you use to give to, to, to give to God, he will use that measurement to give back to you. Now, here's the difference. The difference is this, that God will limit himself to the measurement when you decide that you, you know, you're unwilling to sacrifice more than 10% or 5% or whatever that number is. God says, okay, well, the percentage you want to... Be faithful to me. That's the same percentage I'm going to bless you with. Now, obviously, when we're talking about tithing, that's already, God's already, if you're not doing 10%, you've already lost. Right, you're cursed with a curse. 
That's why you're in so much debt and your car keeps breaking down and all those issues. God will limit himself to the measurement that you chose, but here's the difference. When God gives back to you using the same measurement, it'll be overflowing. Again, when I think of this, I, I, I think of uh, two, two different ways. One is with a series of, of rulers and, and measurements. One is with a series of cups. You've heard me say this before. In the same way that in your kitchen you have different measuring cups that are different sizes, and you use those measuring cups to be able to scoop in and get a certain amount of flour or a certain amount of sugar or a certain amount of whatever it is you need. God says when it comes to giving, you've got a container with all your resources, everything that God has blessed you with. By the way, everything in your container, God gave to you. He says, and then you've got a table in front of you. You've got all these different measuring cups, different sizes. And you get to decide which one you're going to grab and scoop out of to give and to invest into the house of God. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. As soon as you're done scooping out, as soon as you set that down, I'm going, to set the, I'm going to pick that same measurement up. With the same measure with all that ye meet. Look, it's not my fault that you picked out the half a teaspoon. And you're like, well, here's what I'm going to give to God. And God's like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to give to you. Here's what he's saying. Be generous and God will be generous with you. He says, now the difference is that when I pick up the same measuring cup, it'll be good measure. He said, I'm going to pick it up. He said, I'm going to press it down. I'm going to get all those air bubbles out. I'm going to shake it. Make sure it's, it, it, I get everything in there as much as possible. He said, it'll be good measure, pressed down, shaken together. He says, and running over. He says, I'm going to limit myself to the same measuring cup, but I will make sure that it's overflowing when I give it back. Go, go back to, to, uh, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm not sure if you kept your place in 1 Corinthians. I meant to ask you to keep your place there. But you're there in Luke. You have Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. While you go there, let me read to you out of a very famous psalm, Psalm 23, verse 5. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. See, God will limit himself to your measurement, but when God gives back, it'll be overflowing. But it will be only overflowing the amount that you give back. Because God will use the same measurement that you use to give to him. God will use that same measurement to give back to you. And again, that's not just financially. It's all the blessings of God. Health and happiness, prosperity, all of that. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. What's the word sparingly mean? It means cheap. To be a cheapskate. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Because God says, For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Go back to Luke. Chapter 6. While you go there, let me read to you this little excerpt from a, a man named R.G. R. G. Latorno. R.G. Latorno was a Christian industrialist who dedicated his life to being a businessman for God. 
He was hugely successful designing and developing his own line of earth-moving equipment. Letourneau was the maker of nearly 300 inventions and hundreds of patents in his lifetime. As he succeeded financially, he increased his giving to the point where he was giving 90% of his income to the Lord's work. Here's what he said. I shovel out the money and God shovels it back in, but God has a bigger shovel. And I'm not telling you you need to be giving 90%. I'm not, I'm not telling you, you, that's, you give what you want. I mean, God does command 10%. I'm just telling you this, that God says you're in charge of the measurement that he measures back to you with. He says, whatever measurement you meet with, it shall be measured to you again. So we learn this lesson on judgment. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Why? Because with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. With what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged. Then he gives us this lesson on giving. He says, he says give and it shall be given unto you again. He says, and with what measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So we see the measure of judgment. We see the measure of giving. Let me give you one last one this morning. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Here's number three. We see the measurement of false prophets. He begins to speak to us about false prophets and how to measure or judge a false prophet. He says, here's how you judge a preacher. Now you say, why would you need to judge a preacher? Why? Here's why. Notice what he says in Luke 6, 39. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? He says, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Here's what he's saying. He says, you need to judge whether the leader that is guiding you, the leader that you're following, whether they're seeing correctly, whether they're blind or not. You say, why? Because if the blind leads the blind, they both, they both end up in the ditch. Amen. Now, we saw on Wednesday night that this teaching on false prophets from, from, the, uh, from the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at it again this morning um, a little differently, but we're going we're to look at some of these characteristics of how to judge a false prophet. But let me just run some verses just real quickly. Go to 1 John, if you would, 1 John chapter 4. If you start at the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation, and you go backwards, you've got the book of Jude, which is one chapter. Then you have 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John. And 3rd and 2nd John are one chapter also, so you've got two chapters there. And then 1st John is just a few chapters. 1st John chapter 4, it's right there close to the book of Revelation. 1st John chapter 4, verse 1. First of all, let me just explain this. Why judge a preacher? Here's why. Because not every preacher is from God. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. Try. The word try means to test. Test the spirits, whether they are of God. You say, why do I need to test the spirits, whether they are of God? Here's why. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So don't just turn the TV on and start watching some preacher on TV and think, well, everything they say has got to be good. No, no, no. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Why do I need to do that? Here's why. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You've got to test the spirits. Because not every preacher that says they are a man of God is a man of God. Because false prophets are out there. They're in the world. And they're trying to uh, lead you astray. And if the blind leave the blind, they both fall into a ditch. And these false prophets are headed for a ditch. 
they're headed for they're headed for the pit, the bottomless pit, and they're leading a whole lot of people with them. So how do you judge a preacher? How to judge a, a false prophet? Go go back to Luke chapter six. We'll we'll look at real quickly. Jesus gives us three thoughts in regards to how to judge, how to judge, or how to measure a false prophet. Now look, I'm a preacher here this morning, telling you here's the measurement that Jesus gives us for measuring a prophet. And I realize that the measurement that I'm giving you, I will be measured back with. And I'm okay with that. Because I've done my best. None of us are perfect, obviously. Nobody here is sinless, but I've done my best to not have a beam in my eye when it comes to these issues. And, and, and I'm not a false prophet. <laughs> so. so how do you judge a preacher or a prophet? Well, number one, preachers should be judged by their popularity. Preachers should be judged by their popularity. Now you say, Pastor, you're just saying that because, you know, you know you can win that one. Okay, I'm saying that because that's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Notice what he says. The disciple is not above his master. Now when the Bible says not above, what that means is that the disciple, because what's a disciple? A disciple is a pupil. It's someone who's learning. The master, if you remember the, the term schoolmaster, like a principal or an educator, a teacher, the, the, the student is not above the teacher, is what he's saying. The disciple is not above the master. Here's what he's saying. The pupil, the student, the disciple is not more, is not greater, is not better than the master. But everyone that is perfect, now what does the word perfect mean? It means complete or whole. Everyone that's complete or whole or mature shall be, notice, as his master. The word as means, look, a pupil is never going to be better than their master. But when they're mature and they're whole, they should be as their master. They should be on level with their master. So you say, what does this have to do with popularity? Well, preachers should be judged by their popularity because Jesus has already covered this in the Sermon on the Plain. Let me just remind you of it. Go, go back to verse 26, Luke 6, 26. Remember what he said? We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Luke 6, 26. Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you. Notice, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Here's what the Bible is teaching. In fact, go to John, John 15. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 15. As a preacher, I'm a disciple or a pupil or a student of the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I should not be more loved than Jesus. I, so I should be able to look at the ministry of Christ and see how popular Jesus was. And, and I should not be more popular than Jesus. More accepted than Jesus. More respected than Jesus. More admired than Jesus. I'm talking about when Jesus was on this earth in his ministry. You say, well, how famous was Jesus? How popular was Jesus? How loved was Jesus? Well, you tell me. Here's how his ministry ended. They killed him. Here's how his ministry ended. They crucified him. If you study his ministry, the whole time he had people attacking him, lying about him, being envious of him, trying to destroy him, trying to destroy his ministry. So here's all I'm asking. Is why is Joel Osteen so loved by this world? When Jesus wasn't loved like Joel Osteen's loved, 
Jesus wasn't loved like Billy Graham's loved. Jesus wasn't loved like many of these famous preachers are loved. Is the, is, is the student greater than the teacher? Is the disciple greater than the master? See, Jesus says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. John 15, 19, Jesus explains this phenomenon. He says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. See, sometimes people, they come to a church like this, and they're like, oh, I really like that church. Maybe not this sermon, but, you know, other sermons. And like, I really like that church. People were really friendly. It was really good. But then I Googled the pastor's name. <laughs> and, I mean, do you know what people are saying about you? Don't Google my name, at least not now. <laughs> do you know what people are saying? I always think it's funny when people come up to me. Pastor Minutes, do you know what people are saying about you? I'm like, yeah. yeah. Why do they say so many mean things about you? Here's why. Because if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Jesus said, Jesus said, the world hates me and the world should hate you if you're a follower of me and if they love you, you're a false prophet. That's what Jesus said. So you say, how do I know if a preacher's, if, if a preacher is, is, a, is a good preacher or not. Well, you take out the measuring rod, you take out the measuring stick, you take out the measuring cup, you take out the, the measurement tool of their popularity, and that'll tell you a lot about whether they're a false prophet. So when Rick Warren gets asked to do the prayer at the inauguration of the president, that's a bad sign. That's not a good sign, that's a bad sign. When the world loves you, accepts you, admires you, you're probably a false prophet. So how do you measure a false prophet? Preachers should be measured by their popularity. There's a second way that you can measure a false prophet. Jesus tells us, go back to Luke chapter 6, look at verse 43, Luke chapter 6 verse 43. We measure a false prophet by their popularity. We also, number two, preachers should be judged by what they produce. Preachers should be judged by what they produce. Notice Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. Notice what Jesus says. And by the way, this is all in the same context of what he's teaching. He says, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Notice what he says, verse 44. For every tree is known by his own fruit. Jesus says, look, here's how you can know if a preacher is good or not. Look at what they produce. Because a good tree brings forth good fruit. A corrupt tree brings forth corrupt tree or fruit. Every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns, men do not gather figs. He says, you don't go to a thorn bush to get figs. You go to a fig tree to get figs. You know what, you, you know what a thorn bush produces? Thorns. For of thorns, men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. You don't go to a bramble bush to get grapes. Every tree is known by his own fruit. Now, this is also quoted from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, 
And it's also a very well-known passage where Jesus says, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Now here's the interesting thing. People try to take this verse and apply it to salvation. Well, if you're saved, then you're going to have some fruits. By their fruits you shall know them. The problem is that the context of that phrase is, here's how you judge a prophet. By their fruit ye shall know them. This is not the measuring stick for salvation. You say, what's the measuring stick for salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I need evidence of your salvation. Well, faith is the evidence. This is about how to judge a preacher. You say, how do I know a pastor man is a good preacher? Check my fruit. Check what we've produced here. Now look, obviously in any ministry... Any church that is open to the public and people come in from the street, you're going to have people from time to time that show up and they're not saved or they don't believe exactly like we believe. And we understand that. Look, even Jesus had a Judas. But here's the thing. When your whole church is Judas's, that's a problem. And look, you can go around and get to know the people at Verity Baptist Church. I mean, the people that call this church their home, that say I'm their pastor, that say my wife is their pastor's wife, that, that have been here for, for, for a while, that have got baptized here, that got saved here. Go around and ask them about their salvation testimony. You know what the vast majority of them are going to say? The vast majority are going to say salvation by faith, um, not of works, you can't lose it, you don't earn it, you don't have to repent of your sins. You say, that's the fruit that we produce. So you want to know the tree? Check the fruit. And look, we actually do this. We don't do, this is not the reason we go out soul winning, but this is a byproduct of us going soul winning. We go out soul winning, knock doors, and ask people all around this community, all around the city, do you know for sure you died today or you're on your way to heaven? And you know, you start realizing, when people tell you, I go to so-and-so church, you're like, this person's probably not saved. Because I've met a hundred people from that church and none of them were saved. And I met the pastor from that church, and he wasn't saved. <laughs> so Jesus says, look, here's how you can judge a prophet. Here's how you can judge a preacher. You judge them by their popularity. If they're more popular than Jesus, that's a problem. If they're more loved than Jesus, that's a problem. You judge them by what they produce. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. And here's what's interesting to me. That Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 says, Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them, which is about judging a false prophet, and that's in the same context as when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, judge not that ye be not judged. So false prophets like to teach, judge not that ye be not judged means you never judge anyone for any reason ever. And, but then Jesus in the same breath is telling you, well, judge a false prophet by their fruits. So which one is it? Do we judge no one or do we judge false prophets? Well, it's judge that ye be not judged is about hypocritical judgment. And we've already talked about that. Go, go, go to Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Maybe the last one, we'll finish up. Say, so how do I measure, how do I measure a, a preacher? You measure them by their popularity. You measure them by what they produce. Number three, you measure them by what they preach. You measure them by what they actually say, what actually comes out of their mouth. Luke 6, 45. Notice what he says. A good man, because remember he said, a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit. Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now he's telling us what the trees are. They're men. They're preachers. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. 
For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So you say, how do you measure a preacher? You should measure them by what comes out of their mouth. By what they actually say. By what they actually preach. Now again, please, because you know you say these things and then people take it to these extremes. Obviously, we are, every preacher is a human being and we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to slip up and say the wrong thing from time to time. I, th- I think it's ridiculous that people, people, you know, my job is to stand up in front of this church and three times a week for about an hour, three times a week, is to stand up and preach the Word of God to you and, 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 and expound the Word of God, explain it, apply it, and help you grow in grace. And thank God for that. Amen. And then people, you know, and then you do that three times a week, 52 weeks a year, for 11 plus years now. Amen. And they don't expect that every once in a while you're going to say something you shouldn't have said or, you know, do something you shouldn't do or whatever. You know, obviously we're all human beings. Look, sometimes you, you say no one, you meant Jonah. Okay, that's, that's not worth quitting the church over. Okay, so it, it's, it's, sometimes you just say the wrong thing. You're, I always think it's funny where people, you know, some people are like, they never say anything about the sermon, but whenever you say something wrong, like, Pastor, you know, at the 52-minute second mark, you said, and I'm like, 52-second mark, you're sitting in the service? How do you know that? <laughs> and they're just like taking notes on like every wrong thing you say. Why don't you take notes on what the Bible says? Yeah. So obviously, we're all going to make mistakes. But look, if you've just been preaching false doctrine just time after time, just sermon after sermon, it's just false doctrine, you know, past false doctrine and, and more false doctrine, it's, it starts telling you, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And by the way, you shouldn't accidentally, you know, here's another false prophet, this Stephen Furick guy, I think that's what his name is, all over YouTube. He accidentally called himself God. You don't accidentally call yourself God. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Worship me, I'm God. Oh, I misspoke. No, that's not, a, that's not a misspeak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I just think it's funny that preachers, you know, you'll, you'll point out that like, hey, you preach the false doctrine in these sermons here. You can't judge me for what I say. Well, actually, I can judge you for what you say. You're a preacher. It's what you do for a living. You get up and preach the word of God. Obviously, sometimes we slip up. Obviously, sometimes we say, make mistakes and we say the wrong thing. And you shouldn't just take one instance and just burn somebody for it. But when they're putting it in writing, when they're you know, putting it, uh, 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 writing books about it, when they're preaching it over and over again, and then they try to tell you, like, oh, no, that's not what I believe. No, that's a false prophet they're lying to you. Let me let you know a little secret, okay? When you own a restaurant, your food is up for judgment. People get to decide. I like it. I don't like it. You understand that? Well, when you're a preacher, your preaching's up for judgment too. Now, now, I'll tell you right now, a good preacher, because rewind to point number one, a good preacher doesn't care whether you like the preaching if he's preaching the word of God. I don't like your, your preaching because you, I'm a fornicator and you're preaching against fornication. Well, then that's, that's between you and God. That's your problem. Because I'm here to please the Lord. But I also understand that my preaching can be judged and should be judged. So look, when I get up, you say, Pastor, sometimes you preach things and then it makes it on the news. Does that bother you? It doesn't bother me. Everything I say is public. 
I'm, I'm preaching it from the housetops. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not ashamed of anything I believe. I'm not hiding anything I believe. I love the Word of God. I love everything the Bible says, even the controversial stuff. In fact, especially the controversial stuff. I love it. But see, these preachers, you know what many false preachers do? They'll purposely never preach the controversial stuff. So you should judge preachers off of what they say. You should also judge them off of what they don't say. But Jesus here, Jesus, go to Acts chapter 17. We'll finish up. We've we got to be done. Acts 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 17. Acts 17, look at verse 10. And look, I'm telling you, I'm Pastor Jimenez a Verity Baptist Church is telling you, don't just believe everything I say as gospel. Now, I don't think you should have a bad attitude. I don't think you should come to church and just be angry all the time, like just waiting to see. He said the wrong thing. What time marker was that? So I can comment. Acts 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately, Acts 17, 10, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming hither went into the synagogue of the Jews. I love this verse. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now notice, they didn't have a bad attitude. When Paul preached, they did not have a bad attitude. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were ready to receive the word. They wanted to get the preaching. They were ready to receive the word. But they didn't just blindly believe it. They received the word with all readiness of mind and, and, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. See, you say, Pastor, I want to judge your preaching. Here's what I hope you'll do. I get up and I preach something controversial, right? I bring up fornication. And you're like, I can't believe he would say it. I've never heard that. I mean, I've been going to liberal church down the street for so many years. And that pastor never, I can't. Well, here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll go home and open up your King James Bible and read every day to try to disprove me. I hope you'll search the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. You say, why do you have that confidence? Here's why I have that confidence. Because I believe that if you read the Bible every day, you would come to the same conclusion. Wow, God is against fornicating. Hey, honey, we probably need to get married. I didn't know it, but I mean, I've, I've been reading the Bible. So you know what a good preacher does? He preaches the word of God to you. And then he tells you, don't just believe me. And by the way, don't just write me off. Oh, that's just Pastor Matt. No, no, that's the word of God. You go home and you search the scriptures daily and see whether those things are so. And then you do it because it's what the Bible says. You don't do it because it's what Pastor Jimenez says, and you don't write it off because it's just what Pastor Jimenez said. No, no, if it's what the Bible says, then you do it because it's what God said. And that's what a good preacher tries to get his church family to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this portion of Scripture. Lord, I realize that even this portion of Scripture is not that popular to teach people what God says about judgment and false prophets and all those things. But help us to learn it, Lord. You've given us these uh, measurement uh, tools to be able to measure our giving, to measure our judgment, to measure uh, our, uh, our, our false prophets. Lord, and help us to learn those things. Help us to, to, to have them in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.